0: First Corinthians three brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. That's a terrible translation right there. It ought to be fleshly. Uh, uh, King James used the word carnal. And all they did is borrowed the Latin word carne for flesh. But the word really is fleshly. Uh, Are you not fleshly? Mere infants in Christ, and lest you miss it, that is not a compliment, what he just said. It's never used that way. Uh, don't think of 1 Peter 2. You desire the sensory milk of the word like a babe. That's a complimentary analogy. But here, he's talking about their behavior, they're acting like they're in the nursery department. I gave you milk, not solid food. For you were not yet ready for it. I'll just make comments. Uh, what he gave them was the gospel. And I think he might be playing some sarcasm here. You thought what I said was just elementary baby stuff. The cross is never just milk. His message of Christ crucified, the power of God, is not a milk truth. He doesn't divide that. Some folks say, well, we're really into the meat now. What does that mean? You're into Prophecy? Friend, it doesn't get any deeper than the cross. How dare you call the cross milk. Now I'm over here and i figured out who the beast of Revelation is. Well, the beast bothering most of you is who you're living with. So, uh, you know, uh, that's not the deeper truth. Not at all. Most of us never got it figured out. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. indeed. You are still not ready. There's the problem. You are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly, fleshly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Are you not thinking and acting like mere natural men? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I'm going to just stop there. I put to verse 15, but we'll pick that up. There's too much there. So, uh, let's just kind of examine what he's saying here. Childish Christians, verses servants of christ childish christianity let's see what's going on here he's addressing the people and i have to say when i come now in the book of corinthians i feel like i'm coming from the mount of transfiguration where i've been living at the foot of the cross the power of the gospel and now even in my spirit i find i'm going down in the quagmire of christian problems I, I'm, we're now moving to uh, dealing with people, you're in sexual sin, you're suing one another, you're in a party spirit. It's called pastoral problems. You want to preach the cross, you want to see people get saved, and if you work with people very long, you've got to deal with a bunch of childish acting Christians that have been saved long enough that they ought to be, you ought to have a hundred Bible teachers... And sometimes you just see people sucking their thumb all the time. Feed me, feed me, feed me. I think, when in the world would you be able to teach? When will you grow up? When will, you, when, when will all this place represent a house full of ministers, not a house full of babes? Babes in behavior, not newly saved. Well, uh, he's talking to a people that it has been reported you're fussing. You're in a party spirit. I'm not making up the problems. I'm not a mad pastor or apostle. I just want to clean your clock. No, the reports come back to him. They've moved from the cross. They've moved from uh, Christ is what they're built on. They've moved to a party spirit. They've picked favorites. Apollos didn't start the party. Paul didn't start it. Uh, People that are acting carnal or fleshly created it, and the church is being split in two. They're having division. They're having spats. They're in church fighting. And so, he's going to deal with it. Let's deal with the characteristics of childish Christians. What's their main characteristic? Uh, I think it's the word they act fleshly. And uh, when we look at this word, this is the word carnal. Uh, the NIV Bible always translates it "sin nature." Sin nature, and flesh equals that principle within human beings that is bent on sin. Galatians five says it's immoral, it's idolatrous acting, and I believe Galatians five nineteen gives about nine or eleven social problems. It's dissentious. it's envious, it's jealous. Uh, It it likes to fight with people. It likes to get its own way. It it is a contentious thing in our being. Now, when you get saved, uh, you don't get rid of this principle. I wish you did. Uh, But it remains in you for life. But what Romans 6 says is that it is not to reign over you anymore. That you become Christ's instrument. And you have the Holy Spirit, the only power that can really reign it in. And so he's talking to people that are claiming, we're spiritual. We're spiritual. But I'm of Apollos. And I'm resisting you, Paul. And I'm of this party. And I am into division. But boy, we're deep in the Lord. We're spiritual people. And Paul is thinking, oh, I only wish you were. What characterizes this behavior is the flesh, not the spirit. And he's talking to them as brothers. He, he gives them credit for being saved. This is what's scary, is when the saved act like the folks who don't have the Spirit. When their church meetings are no better than a union hall meeting. Uh, they love to vote. I notice this. They love to vote. They love congregational meetings where they can speak their mind and just tell you how the church ought to be run. And it's not worth uh, writing it on the paper. And that's why God says leadership in a church ought to be pick the most mature, godly men you know and entrust them to lead. We don't need the opinion of everybody. You see, uh, I tell our board, I've been doing it for 30 years. uh, The Constitution I'm bound to is right here. I've got all the bylaws I can keep up with right there. Keeping up with this. Obey. Do the Word of God. We don't need another motion. We need to carry out the motion. Do what he said. I would get Babby here to sing it. Carry out the motion. He's already told us what to do, but they were acting carnal. We have three enemies in the Christian life. The world that's always appealing to us to turn our affections on it away from God. And this turns us into idolaters as we covet. Uh, and that's the appeal from without. Then we have Satan, he attacks, that's the attack from without. But your greatest enemy, if there was no devil, you'd have a handful of problems on you, because you've got the sin principle within you. And out of your own heart comes wicked thoughts, come immoral living, Jealousy, evil. If you just had a heart. You know what? We bind the devil for a thousand years, according to Revelation 20. And people still sin and they still rebel because you can get rid of the devil and you're still a rascal. And the only thing that can subdue your way of thinking and acting in a natural realm is is to be living the life of the Spirit. Now, they claim to be in the Spirit. and He says, well, you're not doing the things the Spirit would have you do. You're doing things that come from the flesh. You're looking like natural men while claiming to be spiritual men. Get your act together. Repent. You're wrong. That's what he's saying to them. Uh, something uh, about these people is their diet. Uh, they are basically, I think Paul's picking up that they're saying, Paul, you weren't deep enough for us. Uh, you know, uh, get, let's get on to the meat. And then he says, no, no, you've got to know, when I first came to you, I just gave you the milk of the cross and the gospel and how you got saved. Now, I hear you guys would like to really move on to steak and really get into the, the, the real meat of the word. He says, but I look at you and you've never grown any teeth. You don't have any, you're all gumming it. What would you do with meat? You don't have the ability to masticate the food in your mouth so you can ingest it. Your problem isn't the depth of the word, it's your lack of comprehension of it. You don't even get the cross yet or you wouldn't be dividing the church up into little spats. You wouldn't be breaking up what Christ bought. Be careful how you conduct yourself in a body bought at the price of Christ. You don't get to run it the way you want. You're under one Lord. This is His church, not yours. You're just privileged to be a member. Don't be telling Jesus how to have church. And don't be splitting up the church. Well, I'm after this guy. I'm after that guy. You're after neither because you're not after Christ. You see, the carnal believer is always about human personalities because he's taken his or her focus off of Christ. Then you become enamored with people. And it's the popularity contest. He said, you're, you've not grown any teeth. Matter of fact, you're not even potty trained. Your problem is you're still acting like kids and you want me to treat you like adults. that was a favorite line of my dad to us kids. If we would do do something, misbehave, oh, you, you want the car keys, you want some money. And maybe if we didn't do something, and his great line to us, besides saying the soft spot in our head had never healed, he would also say, you want me to treat you like adults, but you want to keep acting like kids. And that's what he's dealing with these people. You're wanting greater information, more stuff, because you're posing to be super spiritual. I'm dealing with your heart problem. I've heard of the quarreling. I've heard of the house of cloy. And your problem is, you've not grown since I've been, it's been five years now. Because he was there 18 months. Apollos followed up. He's over at Ephesus. He said, you've not grown since the last time. You've reverted And uh, one of the great problems and heartbreaks of dealing with people is to see them uh, profess the faith and never progress, never grow. Uh, The writer of Hebrews deals with it in a way that by the time you ought to be teachers, you have need to be taught again. You know, the goal of discipleship isn't just to attend church every Sunday and keep hearing sermons. The goal is that you disciple others. The goal is you pass it on. You disciple all nations, not just your apostles, all of us, so that you're in the propagating of it, not always having to be told over and over and over, or become a preacher worshiper or a sermon taster and never develop mature conduct, mature uh, adult. Grow up. Grow up. So that God can use you to help the others get out of the infant department, you baby. It's that line I heard years ago. Some people are so old in God that you have to part their whiskers to give them a bottle. Well, You you want to get out of the infant department. Uh, have you grown up? How long have you been saved? How many Bible studies do you lead? Well, I don't have the gift of teaching. Do you have the gift of knowing? Have you learned it? And so Paul is taking on his opponents here that are trying to tell him what spirits are. Because they're all into gifts. They claim to be super spiritual folks. At the same time, they're splitting the church into divisions and a party spirit. So, he says, you're having problems because your behavior is carnal. Comes from the flesh. Matter of fact, you're acting more like mere men than spiritual men. And he just said... Natural men don't have the Spirit. I believe you've got the Spirit, but you're not acting like you've got it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever got where you were acting like you weren't in the Spirit? You were jealous, envious, telling people off, giving way, giving uh, bits of your mind you couldn't easily afford to give away. You better keep all you've got. Uh, and just a divisive, uh, wherever you go, there's conflict and tension because you walk after the flesh when you deal with people. That's why real maturity, if you got saved and we could fly you to a private island and just leave you there for 10 years, you would not come out a mature believer. You'd come out an untested believer. You've got to have some other people you submit to, rub Forbear with, forgive, it takes a body to help produce maturity. It's not just put me out on an island, put an IV of a New American Standard Bible into my veins, and I will grow up to be mature. No, you won't. You'll grow up to be arrogant, but you won't be mature. Because knowledge alone makes you arrogant. Whose feet have you washed? Who have you forgiven? Who have you shown forbearance? where, Where do you give in? Where do you show sweet reasonableness? Christianity is a family faith. It's a We're sheep. We're not raccoons. We travel together. We travel together. We're not lone rangers. We're a body. And the more isolated I see a person, and the person who never can find fellowship, I say, What's your problem? Are you friendly? Are you giving? Or are you always judging the saints on what they do to you? Why don't you learn what John F. Kennedy said? Quit asking what this church can do for you. Why don't you ask what you can do for it? What are you going to do in the body? Quit asking what we... We don't owe you anything. Don't don't be asking the question, Do we love you? We may not. We may be as carnal as you. You've got to always bring it back. Who am I loving? It's not whether I'm loved. It's whether I love Will you love because you're walking in the Spirit? You can't keep from loving when you're controlled by the Spirit. But don't start judging others where they're loving. This might be their carnal day. Let them enjoy it for one day. Get over it. See, this state here of carnal is not the carnal Christian that I grew up with. That it's a state. It's two kinds of Christians. The spiritual and the carnal. No, they're acting out of keeping with the Spirit. They're to get over it. They're being rebuked. It's sin. It's sin. And he says in Galatians, you can be immoral as a believer, but he said, he who practices this, and it's their way of life, shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Any of those works of the flesh, if that's the way you are, you're not saved. You can act that way when you sin, but you better get right. It's not a way of life. You can be irritable. You can have your short moments. You can be critical. You can this. But if that is what you are, then I would ask, am I saved? Because the Spirit is showing no evidence of it in you. Because He changes our temperament and changes the way we interpret facts and people, doesn't He? People don't all of a sudden become perfect because you got saved. God just makes you start loving. And you quit picking on what's wrong with them. And what does He do? Uh... He says, uh, here's the proof. I know that you're not walking in the spirit because you're jealous. Uh, You're quarreling. Uh, Isn't this from the flesh? Um, matter, Matter of fact, are you not acting like mere men? Mere men. This is the way natural men act. And for when one says, and I've heard this, I told you this in chapter 1, I'm a Paul, and of course they said I was a Cephas, but the two that are really being compared, Apollos followed Paul, and so they're always comparing, that's the two parties that he's really playing off of. Now he's going to go into a description of what we are in contrast to what you are. You're into a party spirit, into jealousy, and over here... Claiming to be adults, but still laying down on the floor and kicking and screaming and throwing a fit as a carnal acting Christian. He said, let me tell you what Apollos really is and what I am. And he begins a discussion of being a servant of God. Servanthood will always take you out of the category of being carnal. Because carnal people are always living for themselves. Listen to what he says. What after all is Apollos? And what in the world is Paul? Only servants. Only servants. You can't get a higher office in the church than Paul had. No apostles in this place. He was an apostle. Wrote more of the books of the New Testament than any other man. This is our highest officer in the church far as gifts are concerned, but he said, really all that I am, when you boil me down, is I'm a servant, and I want to give you a little uh, word, a handle, it had two words for servant, one was, I'm a slave, I'm owned by God, it was doulos, this word is diagonos, We get our word deacon. You see, the word deacon was never a political uh, board. It was the fellowship of the yoke. It was the fellowship of men in the church who publicly said, we offer ourselves to serve and do whatever it takes to see this ministry happen. We're servants. And, And that's what a true deacon is. You could be in the office of one. You could be a Sunday school teacher, usher. You can do a hundred other things in the church and come under this word. Listen to some things about it. What did the word literally mean? It meant to uh, literally to stir up dust doing something. It wasn't uh, Rip Van Winkle. Well, we ought to do. No, this person stirred up dust doing it. It was used of waiting on tables, just a table waiter. A very ordinary, and it came to be used to care for, to serve. But, listen, I quote to you from Kittle's lexicon. It says this, To the Greeks, service is undignified. We are born to rule, not to serve. Service acquires value only when it promotes individual development or the development of the whole as service to the state. The highest good in Greek philosophy and thinking was the development of the human personality. I am the most important. Find me, self-discovery, self-esteem, self... self It's about me, it's not about service. That's beneath me. Bayer in Kittle says, In Greek eyes, service is not very dignified. Ruling and not service is proper to a man. The formula of the sophists, the wise men. How can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? That's the way the Greek philosophers thought. And now Paul goes right against these wise acres at Corinth. He said, by the way, we're not like the Greek philosophers who disdain service. By the way, that's exactly what we are. We are servants. We're not prima donnas, we're not lords, and we're not stars, we're servants. Well, what in the world would ever make Paul talk this way? Well, when you've got Jesus for your model, he is the head of this outfit, you know. And he said, I did not come to earth in order to get a bunch of people to wait on me. That's what he said. I did not come to be served. I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Matthew 20:28. 20, Think of this. God in our midst. Could you imagine the President of the United States coming here and he just to me in the service this morning. And all of a sudden you saw him with the broom. He starts sweeping. He said, "Wait, wait, wait, uh, uh, Barack, what, what's going on?" There? He said, "I didn't come here to be served today. I just—is there anything I can do? Could I clean the toilets? Uh, could I sweep the foyer?" You, no, this is totally inappropriate to your office. You must take a seat. You must let us wait on you. It is not right for a president or a king. To stoop this low. And yet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords said when he came, I came not to be served, and I'll prove it in the upper room. I'll take the place of the lowly servant that washes the feet of dirty men. I'll wash the feet. And now we get in the church with a bunch of prima donnas at Corinth. I want to be served. Bring it on, honey. I'm worthy. Bring it on. Oh, by the way, that service wasn't too good. You could have done a little bit more. Oh, is that right? Well, you, I, I need to bring you know uh, the music wasn't it? and the temperature, the sermon. Oh, just hush. What did you come down to do? Where do you plan to serve? Plan to serve? I I I, I serve by sewing up. In other words, when I sew up for the dinner, I served. Feed me. Honey, I like the way you cooked that. Well, now, I would think she was carnal if she said, Well, cook it yourself. Wouldn't you think that would be a non servant spirit? Cook it yourself. You see, Paul, the Corinthians had not read the Gospels, they've never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't know what. They weren't running with Peter, James, and John. Who heard these sermons. And I want to show you six things. We don't have time to go into it because it's a whole series of sermons. But I want to give you six passages. You write these down. uh, And to see if you've got this working in you. And it's a way to evaluate, am I a servant? Like Jesus taught. Okay. Can you keep up with me? Good. Matthew, Mark. Okay. Mark. And I know Luke and John come later, but Matthew, Mark, uh, turn there. Look at the ambition of a servant. Number one, ambition of a servant. Mark 9, I believe I said 6, but I mean 9, 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about Who was the greatest? Now, these are the people you're going to build a church on. And they're having contests over who's the greatest. They say it was a very common Jewish practice at the table to argue over greatness. Who was the greatest person they knew? So they're having an argument. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first... Now, I didn't say it's wrong to want to be first. But if you want to be first, does anyone want to be first? He said, let me tell you how to be first, guys. James, John, and your mama's always trying to get you a position. I'll tell you how to be first. I'm not telling you it's wrong. I just want to tell you how you get to be first in my kingdom. How's that? Here it is. Write this down. He must be the very last and the servant of all. You've got to be kidding. He's not kidding. You've got to be willing to be last. You've got to be willing to serve everybody. Now, to prove the point, you know what he did? He brought children out, which were despised in that culture because they could not uh, make your resume look any better. You couldn't go up by hanging out with children. I wonder sometimes if the greatest servants in our church aren't in the children's department, where nobody even hardly knows them praises them. Encourage. If they write an encouragement card, they write it to us pastors because we're visible. Nobody writes one to the Sunday school teachers. Our Sunday school teachers don't get an encouragement card a year. I wonder if they're not the greatest servants in the church. Based on this now, I'm just a hunt. We can't hardly get you folks to even go over there at times. You got to go over there and see what they do. What the youth department does. You've got them as teenagers now. I said, please, somebody do something with them. And uh, maybe that's where some of the greatest servants in this church are. But he said, bring these little children. If you'll welcome these children, you'll welcome me. So if you want to be great, don't worry about who you get to minister to. The biggest church, the biggest, the folks with all the money, the folks with all the, uh, the doctors, lawyers, and, and CEOs. Uh, why don't you... Take time to be good to children. Not to just test your ambition. Because I want you to be great. I just want you to do it my way. You've got to be last. I love what uh, Deborah and them do in the music ministry. Their theme is uh, servants, not stars. We're not looking for prima donnas to be on the platform of this church. We're looking for servants to sing. We're not trying to discover new talent. Well, let's keep on. This is too convicting. Uh, let's uh, look at the choice you'll have to make. Matthew 20. The choice you must make. When he says, uh, he predicts his death for the third time. Third time in chapter 20. And in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Isn't this interesting? He's just mentioned, I'm going to the cross again, and they're worried about thrones in the kingdom. People not controlled by the Spirit are egomaniacs, insensitive to the Savior. She said, please give my boys a position. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to set up my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great. Notice he doesn't say don't become great. He wants you to be great. He just wants you to do it his way. You want to be great? Now, wouldn't it be terrible he said, "Ah, oh, you know. I just want to be nothing. Well, take it by faith, honey. You already are that. Do you want to be any more than nothing? Well, I like to be greatly used of God. I like like for God to do something. Well, all right. Wonderful. Here's the formula. Uh, All you got to do is be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Nobody does this. Verse 28. You're looking there, aren't you? Verse 28, what does it say? Just as the Son of Man, and and who's that? The Emperor of Rome? Uh, Jesus? Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You can't be promoted in any method other than the divine Christ model. He's the model. And if you don't like it, you're in the wrong outfit. You better get in corporate America. You better get out there and run with the sharks and see how good you keep up. But in God's church, greatness in His kingdom and His church is servanthood. It's not trying to be first. And He's taking on these Corinthians. How dare you make me the head of a party? I'm not running to be the head of a party at Corinth. How dare you make Apollos the head of some... We don't want schools named after us. We don't want a party in that church named after us. Just reading a bit on the biography of uh, Spurgeon. Did you know when they buried Spurgeon, what they put on on his tombstone? C-H-S. He wouldn't even allow his full name to be spelled out. Because it said, I want them to know just an ordinary servant was buried here. C-H-S. The greatest preacher in London in the 19th century. Just C-H-S. And you're worried about what we put on your epitaph. We could say, world's greatest egomaniac. Can't get enough praise. Can't get enough position. Can't get enough honor. Can't get enough being first. Or wouldn't it be something you put on there... The least of all of God's saints, but saved by grace. That's what Paul says about himself in chapter 15. I'm an aborted apostle. Use very graphic language. I'm I'm like the fetus that was uh, uh, emitted out of a woman's body that was just counted dead and good for nothing. That's me. That's how I got in. But no matter how least I was, I worked harder than you all. Uh, the relationship of this servant, uh, we don't have time to really do it, but put it down, uh, Twenty-three, Matthew 23, 8 through 12, and there he's taking them on about titles. Uh, don't worry about what you're called, uh, just be a servant. Uh, and then the nobility of a servant, he gives us in Luke 22, verses 24 through 27, and he's telling them, Men want to be called benefactor. They want to be called Augustus. And he goes on to say, uh, minister in lowly places and don't seek titles of honor. Uh, That's not our place. Then he says something, the paradox, number five, John 12, and I'm just giving you the glimpses. Uh, We can't settle down here too long, but look at John 12, the paradox of uh, being a servant. Uh, Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now watch. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And what was the model he gave? Are you willing to die to your own ambitions? into your own way of doing things, willing to put to death your selfish, self-centered ambitions and die and serve anywhere, anytime, place he wants. I read years ago about a pastor that was coming down with Alzheimer's, had a wonderful church, but in the process and progress of the disease, uh, he began... he had memorized many verses, but he began to stumble in the pulpit. And uh, uh, the congregation noticed it, and for sure he did. And uh, out of consideration, uh, at the next board meeting, uh, he told the men, uh, I know I'm I'm slipping in the pulpit, and I know I won't be able to be there much longer. This disease is taking my memory and my ability. And he said, while I can still remember, he said, I like to make a motion. And uh, they're listening, and he said, I'd like to make a motion, and have you men vote on it, that uh, once the disease takes away my ability uh, to preach, that you'd at least let me be a janitor at this church. And if you'll vote that in, because he said, I'll, I'll do anything I can to propagate the ministry of this church. And if I can't teach and preach, I'd be glad to clean bathrooms and to mop floors. He said, I just want to be of service. Would you put it in the minutes? What is there in the church you won't do? You have to ask that. What are you willing to do? And here, Jesus, my service will result in a crucifixion outside of Jerusalem. And I'm telling you men, if you follow me, you've got to die to the self-life. Peter, you're going to have to sell the fishing business because I've called you to come follow me and die. I've called you to forget all this stuff, just making money and and going up and and doing things. Die to yourself. Die to you being in charge. Because, you see, the only way I can multiply your life for things eternal is if you die to your small ambitions and begin to follow me. But let me tell you, in dying, you will multiply the impact. And I never look at this passage, but when I remember when I was in the real theater, undergoing some great trials in my spirit. And uh, Malcolm Lee on a Sunday morning simply said to me, "Uh, Pastor, how are you doing? I said, I'm not doing well. He said, well, it's like we're watching you die every week. That's not great to tell your pastor that's what you look like to the church. And when he said that, I said, well, I think you're absolutely right. I believe I am dying in this church. If God let me, I'd leave this church in a minute because I feel I am dying. And then, right then, this verse was quickened to my mind by the Spirit. I said to him, But God's specialty is resurrection. And if He can make a kernel of wheat sprout up and produce more, He can revive a nearly dead preacher and do something else with me. But I am on the verge of dying. And I find out it's totally scriptural. And I find those men that God has used greatly in ministry have come to the place in their ministries that they've had nearly a death experience. That results weren't there, sermons weren't coming, they weren't being effective. One and it drove them to die to all of their reliance on self, uh, whatever they, and cast themselves. I'm dead unless you produce a crop, and that's exactly what he's going to tell us. And then the reward of a servant. I'll just give you Luke 17 and Luke 12. And I'm not going to go there, but I think one thing amazing. He says in Luke 12, when the king comes back and throws his banquet, hear this, Luke 12. You read it for yourself. God the Son says, "I will be serving you at the table at the married supper of the Lamb." Let me give you the exact verse so you can look. 12:37. He gives the parable of the master that when he comes back, he will wait tables for the servants. And guess what? I can't even comprehend it. And I'll keep my emotions in check. To imagine seeing the resurrected Lamb at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And who's serving the food but Jesus. Can you imagine, Lockwood, that Jesus would wait on you in the future? Here. Here's your food. Well, he washed their feet in the upper room. And he gives it. You read the parable. When I come again, I'll still be a servant, and I'm going to serve my servants. The reward's coming, maybe not in this life, but when I see Jesus with His five wounds and resurrected body and in His majestic glory actually girding the towel again and wanting to serve me, it is incomprehensible. Now, listen to what Paul says about himself and Apollos, and we'll only go the verses that he uses the agriculture analogy. I must rust. In three minutes, I'll start coughing and I'll stop. Listen to what he says. What, after all, is Paul? What is Apollos? Only servants. We've only done what God assigned to us. He said, I'm a church planter, I planted the seed. I was there 18 months. Apollos came and God blessed him to water it. Rich and I know a man, Al Rutledge, in this area. He'd start so many different churches, and about the time it got to be 200, 250, 300, uh, he'd get bored. He'd go start, go rent a hall, and start another church. And right now, man, the goodies are coming. They now, give you a salary, Al. Like you start now, you can start bragging a little bit. You got a growing church. You're up to 300. You and every time he get, he look for someone, hand it off, and he'd be over here or another guy in this area, Bill Herzog. They, they were just starting Grange Halls here and that. They, they weren't all into uh, how big a church they got. They were planting all the time. Planting, planting, planting. The other pastors come along and watered it, and the thing would really grow. And, of course, you always give the present pastor all the credit for what happened. Hey, who is Bill Herzog? Who is Al Rutledge? Started all kinds of churches. They didn't care about being the pastor of a large church They just went to hard places, barren places, and just start from nothing. Would you do that if that was God's calling? Paul said, you know, I'm a church planter. And Apollos, thank God, God used him to water it. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Now, this is Paul describing himself. But only God who makes things grow. I don't think most of us believe that verse. I don't think most preachers believe it. Because we got all kinds of church growth techniques and philosophies and stuff. You know, uh, I think I could say this without contradicting myself. I've always been amazed this thing grew. Because I didn't make it grow. I just came to obey God. Whether we ran 50 or a hundred. I was just as happy when we ran a hundred as what we have now. But now it looks better on my resume to say he's a church, he's a pastor of a large church. And I just say... What brings these people week after week? Who raised up all these ministries? Where did all these gifted people come from? What's moving these people to give this money? Instead of saying, I am some church planter, and I am God's gift to preachers. Oh, let's throw up. And Paul is telling them, throw up. Apollos knows, and I know, God made it grow. God is the difference. What's wrong with saying God did it? Guys will ask me, what's your formula? Have you heard of God? Have you heard of God? Have you heard of the gospel? Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They can take weak men with all their foibles and all of the. Well, let's quit praising men for what, you know what, all we are are tools in His toolbox. And sometimes you need a saw, sometimes you need a chisel, sometimes you need a hammer. And God reaches in there and He gets His work done throughout His kingdom, wherever it is, and He just reaches in the toolbox. And once you build the house, you don't have a praise service to the hammer. Let us praise the hammer. Oh, man, what a gifted hammer. You designed every room. Oh, we worship you, hammer. Oh, wait, wait. We're just instruments. It's Jesus that saves. It's God's church. God's building it with different tools. But you see, these kinds of people ruin preachers. Let me tell you, the people can ruin preachers. They ruin us two ways. They either spitting us out because you can't get along with them. They're quarreling all the time, like these Corinthians. And so they're, uh, and then they can get you jealous of another uh, minister. Another word. So, ooh, you know what? Have you heard brothers so? He really knows how to teach the word, especially when you're in a slump. You know, they just, oh, I was preaching here. And one Sunday we had a guest speaker. And this was years ago. And I was uh, I was broken hearted going through trials. And this guy preached. And oh, one of my great critics came and said, you just can't preach like our brother did last week. And uh, he he fed my soul. You're getting on my nerves. And I said, I want to get on your eye. (laughs) That's, oh. And and I, I asked him, I said, well, how long have I been pastoring you? 18 years? 18 years. I said, well, would you say God has used me at all in these 18 years? Oh, yeah. I said, do you know what I would worry about if I were you? He said, what? When's God going to use you? Because you ought to be holding me up right now. And you're over here comparing me to some young stallion that I had over here preach and did a wonderful job. Wasn't the problem with the preacher. It's this guy just wanted to rub it in on me that you're just not, you're not like you used to be. You just don't have it. Because he had no time for broken hearted preachers. So he wanted to discourage me and he did a good job of it. And he's never been the same. And then another way they ruin us, preachers, is you don't know how to affirm the good hand of God without puffing us up. Many a preacher falls to pride. He gets puffed up. He gets to thinking he's God's a special gift to everything. And to say, no, he should never be elevated above being a servant. Surely we can't get higher than the master you see i don 't own the farm i 'm just one of the work hands God owns he calls him you 're my field you 're my ranch you 're my and, and apollos, I want you to bring in the hay uh, no no you take you run the irrigation ditches and and Paul be sure you put seed in the field, and when the crop comes in, the owner doesn't uh, just You know, well, we'll give all the glory to... No, no, no. We're team players, but we know the one owner is God. He owns the church, which is his field. And we just work in the field together. We're field hands. I said, you guys are spreading up the church over field hands. Paul says that about himself. I I love what Moody said. He uh, went to England, and while he was there... uh, he heard a man preach. And when the man concluded his sermon, he said, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who has totally yielded to him. And Moody said, I want to be that man. And another great line is, It's amazing how much God can do through you if you won't take the credit. I'm convinced a lot of us. Can't have too much success because God gives it or he withholds it. How much can God trust you with? And you won't rob him of his glory. He seems to get more glory out of keeping you weak because you can't boast. You really need him. Let me tell all of you, here's one of my favorite sayings. It's mine, so give me credit in humility. God just hit me a few months back in prayer. I always thought I was doing a favor to tell God I needed Him. And then it just hit me. Everybody needs me. Do you want me? Everybody needs me. The difference in you ought to be you want me. A guy going to hell needs God, but he doesn't want God. And I want to tell you, grow up, get out of the nursery department, develop some spiritual teeth, and we'll know you've got the teeth. And you know when we all see the teeth? The teeth will have engraved on them. I want to serve without getting credit. I want to serve a majestic master. I'm not looking to be discovered. I'm looking to die to my own ambitions. And whatever he wants to make of me, so be it. Father, I thank you that... You put us in your toolbox, and you've got something designed for every child of God. They've been designed from the foundation of the world to do certain good works. Some of them are derailed. Some of them are squawking in the infant department. How many babies are in the church, been saved 20 years, don't know how to serve, don't know how to uh, open the Bible, barely know how to pray? It makes me question the salvation of so many when you see the stunted growth, the uh, fleshly attitudes, and uh, the lack of fruitfulness. We all face barrenness if we don't pay attention to add to our faith goodness, self-control, brotherly love, and continued growth. You said if we'll pay attention to these things, We will not fall away, and we will not be unfruitful. Please make it so for every child of God in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.